Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. On today's episode, I will be joined by 92.9 The Games, Joe Patrick. We are going to dive deep into a lot of the biggest Falcon topics of the week. We look back at the Saints game. I ask him kind of what stuck with him now that we're, you know, several days removed from a very important win. So we get into that. We touch on the defense. We touch on the run game, the revival of this offensive line, and We have a nice little discussion about Kyle Pitts before spinning it forward to the New York Jets game. So that is what is on tap for today's episode, and we are going to get to that. First, I want to lay out some uh, Atlanta Falcons playoff scenarios very quickly. So we're going to dive into that. But first, the holiday season is off and rolling. The NFL is in full stride, and the NBA and NHL are hitting midseason form. Bet Online is the number one destination for all your sports wagering info. With up to the minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions, Bet Online is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And it's not just the big four. Bet Online has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that's played, from MMA all the way to international soccer. So, Head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code Believe for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Once again, that's Believe, B L E A V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right. So before we get into my conversation with Joe, I mentioned just some real quick uh, Falcons playoff scenarios for the games remaining. And I looked at the upshot, which is, uh, you know, the New York Times kind of data department and and affiliate site there. So they do great work. If you're interested and have a lot of time and want to dig deep, I uh, advise you to go check that out. I did not look at, you know, like all of the different scenarios last year for the Falcoholic. I kind of, so I was doing a draft pick uh, scenario to basically see where the Falcons would slot in. That involved a ton of homework. This would involve the same amount of homework. So What I really looked at is their playoff prediction or percentage right now, their chance of making the playoffs if they win on Sunday and if they lose on Sunday, and then one more key point that I think is going to be very important. So right now, they have a 63% chance to make the playoffs. I talked about last week how the Saints game was such a pivotal factor in this playoff uh, chance. If they had lost last weekend, their chance of making the playoffs would have fallen to 17%. Essentially, it would have kind of doomed the remainder of their season, which is why it was so important. However, they get a win. They're at 63% uh, chance to make the playoffs, according to the upshot. If they win on Sunday against the Jets, that bumps up to 72%. All right, that's that's passing. That's a, that's a nice, solid uh, D, and we'll take that. You know, we'll, we'll get that. If they lose on Sunday, it drops just to 50%. So it's not that much of a, a killer blow because... It is in the AFC, right? So if you're going to lose any of the remaining games, the Colts and the Jets are are two good ones to lose. But here's the key point and what I wanted to look at specifically. Even if the Falcons lose to their remaining non-division opponents, all of them, Jets, Colts, and Bears, if they just beat the Panthers, the Bucks, and the Saints, 
they will have an 85% chance to make the playoffs. That, of course, kind of depends on how the Saints, how the Bucks, you know, just really those two, the Panthers are kind of out of it. Although I did see a really interesting note that said, theoretically, the Panthers could still win the NFC South by finishing 6-11 and if all of the teams finished 6-11, and um, and depending on who they lo- lost to. So that's why the Panthers aren't, I guess, technically eliminated right now. But still, if the Falcons just take care of business in the division, they're 3-0, they've beaten every team. Now, it's hard to win two division games each season, right? That's why we rarely see teams just go kind of 6-0, and If you know, maybe except for the Chiefs, right? But it is hard to do that. If the Falcons can pull that off, though, they should reach the postseason. I like their chances to win this weekend uh, in New York, and Joe and I are going to kind of get into that here in just one sec. But even if they drop that game, even if they lose to the Colts and Gardner Minshew, even if the Bears somehow, you know, manage to get a win, the Falcons are still going to be pretty good because they've won the necessary game so far. So that's all I have to say. I I think it's really interesting uh, where everything has landed in the NFC South this season. But the Falcons are in good shape as much as we have you know, really worried and, and furred our brow at times and, and just scratched our heads at some of the decisions. They are winning some of the games they need to, and that does matter. So let's get now into my conversation with Joe Patrick of 92.9 The Game. Joe Patrick is back joining me on the podcast once again. You can, of course, find him all the time over at 92.9 The Game. He does great work covering the Falcons over there. Joe, man, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Well, it's it's good. It's fine. We finally have a victory Monday to talk about, which is nice. It feels like it's been forever <laughs> since then. So uh, like a and whole feel- calendar month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But more than a win, it feels like this team is like getting on the tracks uh, for the first time in a while, which is nice. Even even in some of those losses where you said, oh, well, we're just a missed tackle away from it going the other way. It still didn't feel like the Falcons as where this Sunday felt like the Falcons, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I do. And that's kind of where I want to, I guess, start. Because when I did my show with Ovi uh, Sunday night after the game, he wasn't as optimistic. And I I mean, for a long time, he's been saying optimistic Ovi is (laughs) out the window. But even after that win, after a a win where the running game really got back on track, where you saw some of the turnovers that they've been looking for defensively, he was kind of like, eh, you know, they they didn't really really show him too, too much. But I'm I'm curious, now that we've had a little bit of distance from the game, is there anything that's kind of stuck with you from their performance against the Saints that either gives you reason to believe that we'll continue to see some victories moving forward the second half of the season, or, you know, maybe that Sunday was a mirage? Like, what has what stuck with you um, since then? What stuck with me, and, you know, it kind of in reference to what I was saying at, at, at the top here, was Arthur Smith after the game saying, that felt like us. That felt like us. And I think what he's talking about was, the way they were able to run the ball, the way they were able to impose themselves physically on the Saints on the offensive line is something that I don't think we've seen at all this year. Maybe maybe the only time the running game felt like it felt against the Saints was maybe that road win that the team had against Tampa Bay where they didn't yes. have Bijan mm-hmm. Robinson. It felt like they were running with kind of a different level of aggression. But I think that what you saw from the offensive line in this game Um, was different because what they were able to do against the Saints was impose that physicality, but they were doing it with the outside zone and with Bijan Robinson. And so when you're able to kind of integrate both of those things, you really see a whole different style of running game emerge. And I think that what they were able to establish on the ground, 
allowed Desmond Ritter to have more success. And I know there's been a lot of controversy around him because he did have the two turnovers. I would mm-hmm. really only credit him with one one turnover in the game. And I and I just thought he generally played about as good as you need him to play typically as long so long as you get the running game that they got against the Saints. And what we've always been saying is that this Falcons team is a is a run first team. You know, they have that they have that uh um hype video that they play before the games where they were like, you know, it's not flash, it's not it's power, you know, that's the kind of team we are. But we really yeah. haven't seen that that Falcons team yet this year. And just felt like when they were able to establish that against the Saints, it just it just opens up so many other portions of their game. And so if they can keep that going, then then that is they're they're going to win this division. I firmly believe that. I think it's a big question, Mark, as to whether they will actually be able to keep consistency, keep that kind of consistency, maintain that that level of play, especially going into this week against the Jets, against a a really, really stout defense and especially the defensive front that they have. What about you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no there's no question. I I think that there's two things. And it's interesting because I as I was kind of thinking about uh, you know, our conversation, each side of the ball, there was something new that I don't think we had seen um so far this season. One is maybe cause for concern and defensively to me, that was the number of chunk plays that the Saints were able yeah. to hit through the air. Yeah. And even though the Falcons did a really good job in the red zone, the fact that the Saints got kind of five trips down there is yeah. concerning because we've seen recently that, you know, the first part of the season, I think the Falcons did a good job of not always like three and outs, but it it usually the drives weren't going for for too, too long. And they would get off the field on on one of the third downs they had. But then in recent weeks, kind of before the bye, I think Mike Rothstein's uh, piece after the game kind of alluded to this is the energy was dipping a little bit. Some of the players after the game were talking about you know, maybe the bye week kind of couldn't come soon enough for them because 11 weeks is a long time. 10 weeks mm-hmm. is a long time. And we were starting to see the defense, which had been playing so well, maybe regress slightly. And so even though this performance, they only allow 15 points, don't allow a touchdown, on paper, it looks really good. I still am looking at the 444 yards, kind of those Chris Alave deep overs that just seem to, they were contested catches. And Arthur Smith, you know, was made sure to point that out that you give credit to the Saints, but that has stuck with me. And then the run game. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious, do you think one of those, or maybe both of that, like, are we going to continue to see that? Are we going to continue to see the offensive line impose its will? Caleb McGarry kind of, get some amazing blocks on the edge to spring some of these runs. The offensive line really just kind of being the engine again for that run game. Do you think that's going to continue? Or do you think, you know, are we going to see some of these leaky yards that the defense is going to give up? That That's kind of what's been rattling around in, in my mind. Can you help me make sense of that? Like, what do we expect to remain true for this team? Yeah, you know, again, I think that we'll learn a lot against the Jets in that respect, especially offensively because of the tests that they present uh, up front defensively. But, you know, I want to go off what you were talking about with the defense. I totally agree. And I think one of the more concerning aspects of the Falcons performance defensively yesterday was or Sunday was, uh, you know, they just weren't able to really affect Derek Carr very much. Like he Mm -hmm. was he had way too many times where he was just kind of standing back there. And again, was able to find Olave or you know receivers on the other side of the field from where they started when they were running those crossing routes, and that just goes to show the lack of pressure 
that they were able to generate. And when I think back to when this Falcons team played the Saints to open the season last year, I mean, Grady Jarrett was having a field day inside. I think he may have had three sacks in that game, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there just really wasn't that disruption. You, I certainly felt like that was not there was an opportunity for them there with David Onyemata, obviously one of the better def- interior defensive pass rushers in the league so far this season to be able to create some of that havoc. And, you know, I don't know if he hasn't been 100%. Obviously, that was this was his first game back returning from an injury. Uh, where he missed the Cardinals game. But I think, you know, I I think that that has kind of been overall that, that lack of pressure, that lack of kind of dynamic pass rush in general. Like when you just look at the personnel, there aren't those guys who can regularly do the things like Arnold Abicady did where he, you know, he blows past a guy, you know, shoves the hands out of the way. It was great. That was was, was an amazing speed rush. rush. That was a great, that was a great rush. And the, but you just don't get that. On, obviously, you can't ask for that from anybody like on every single play, but the Falcons don't really seem to get that hardly at all. Like that was one of the first times like, wow, you know, you really you busted in the backfield. So um, that I think is a concern for me. And I frankly, when, when you when you don't have Grady Jarrett, it's hard for me to see that really the, the Falcons really returning to the kind of defense that we were so hopeful and optimistic about in those first, you know, six or seven weeks of the season. I think that we've frankly seen it laid out very cleanly since like since he left in that Titans game. You saw the Titans put up 28 points. You know, they've basically given up season high point totals in every single game uh, until the Saints game, where even then, you know, the, the yardage was what it was. And you got to be, you know, thankful, you know, that you that you did bow up and you, you prevented the, the the touchdowns for sure. And there, there's something to be said for that. But it's not something that I think you can rely on that's going to to happen consistently. So, again, I'm really happy with the performance because it was such a, a turnaround from what we've seen kind of on, on especially on the on the offensive side of the ball um but it will be interesting against this and it, you know when we talk about the the test that this offense is going to have against the jets it's also not uh you know it should be an opportunity for this defense to get itself right you know against one of these quarterbacks yeah. but we've said that before with this falcons team and, and they haven't <laughs> been able to to obviously do that so it'll be interesting to see how they how they you know how things turn out there I mean, I'm not alone. I it, certainly in thinking this, but at this point, it almost scares me a little bit more when there's kind of a quarterback issue going on with the other team. Yeah, right. Yeah. Historically, the Falcons have not really done super well in those scenarios. Um, and but I, I going back to the pass rush, it's not like Derek Carr is is a mobile quarterback, right? But they almost rushed him like he was going to escape the pocket, right? Yeah. It was almost like they were con- they were creating a pocket to box him in, but he was perfectly fine to sit in there. I remember one play, and it was, I think, one of those big deep overs uh, to Chris Olave against Jeff Okuda, where I started out watching the play from the press box, watching Chris Olave, and I was like, okay, he's open, but he hasn't gotten the ball yet, so let me like look around and see who else is. So I had time to look at, yeah. all right, the receiver on you the right side okay, is, is the back. Yeah, and then <laughs> Derek Carr found Chris Olave. So I was yeah. like, wow, he had all day. If I was able to be like, all right, look him off. Nope, over there. Nope, over there. All right, back to Chris Olave. Right. Then you know that that's how much time he had. So I think it was Bud Dupree in the lead up to the Saints game that kind of talked about them needing to use their pass rush moves kind of more in sync. And Mm -hmm. that was an interesting thought that I guess I'd never considered because I, you know, it's easy to sit here and say that defensive line play is such a one-on-one, you know, go win your rep, right? When we're Mm -hmm. in training camp and we all have our phones out because we're watching the defensive line go against the offensive line, they go like one guy at a time. 
And so it's easy to fool yourself into thinking, okay, it's just about having four great guys out there who can just win their individual matchups. But I do think that there is a cohesive nature to pass rushing that just for some reason or another isn't really clicking here in Atlanta. I don't know how much of that has to do with Grady Jarrett being out because certainly all of these guys have, have played together now for a time. But it is a piece of the puzzle that I think if they can unlock that you know, down the stretch. And you give credit to New Orleans because their offensive line is, is really good, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like their, their offensive and defensive lines, that's how they like to be built. So it remains to be seen, but by and large, like Jesse Bates saved them in a couple of instances. And I think that, yeah, I mean, one or two touchdowns down there. And I mean, we maybe are talking about a little bit of a different outcome. Uh, do you have any, any final thoughts on the defense? I do want to touch on a couple of, of occurrences from the offense before we kind of look ahead to New York. Yeah, I think, you know, on the defense, I, I'm interested to see if, you know, and you don't want to say like, oh, well, Earl and sack is going to give the coaches like something different to think about. You know, it's just, it's just one <laughs> rep. Um, yeah. But I do wonder if they might think about how they use some of their personnel, because even even after Olave went out of that game, the Saints were without Rashid Shahid and Olave by the end of that game, and they were getting burned on like jet sweeps, reverses. These the Falcons have these big power edges, and they're just not very mobile, you know, in those situations. They're playing a lot of man to man coverage as well, and I think that this you know the Saints exploited them, and they were able to get mm-hmm. these chunk yards off of plays that really you shouldn't be hitting that consistently. And I feel like it's something that this coaching staff is going to have to address. I mean, I think that they want to play, obviously, a lot of man coverage. But I think that when you're looking at a Jets team, you got to think that they're going to see that when they don't have they got Tim Boyle at quarterback. They're going to say, let's do the jet sweeps, too. You know, like, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's let's do those jet <laughs> sweeps that are going to pick up, you know, those those 25 yards. And so um, I think they, they got to be they got to watch out for for that. I think that that's somewhere where they're going to try to get exploited. But listen, there, there are still good things that are happening. I mean, you know, you you might knock Jeff Okuda for for the coverage on some of these plays, but again, it's like it's it's hard to he's he's coming he across right the there. field and he, yeah, yeah, he's right there in position. And frankly, you you hope that you, your quarter the opposing quarterback doesn't get that much time for a receiver to go all the way across the field before the ball's released. So I still think there are some good things, and um, you know, fortunately, I, I think that the Falcons have you know, a great player in AJ Terrell to kind of match up against Garrett Wilson against the Jets. And then I think you're pretty happy with that matchup. And then you're happy with where that leaves you elsewhere on the field. You just got to make sure that just this kind of gadget stuff doesn't bite you like it has, you know, like the, the Titans were able to pull it off. The Vikings were able to pull it off. And even though those offenses weren't you know necessarily gaining the kind of yardage on a consistent basis that we saw the Saints have, um, they were still able to get, you know, make key, key plays that, were the difference makers when they needed them. So you just got to make sure you don't get burned in that way because that can make the difference in in the game. And I know that, uh, you know, Arthur Smith said that the Saints, what they saw was kind of a lot of match coverage. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it was Desmond Ritter in his press conference afterwards. Just a lot of match coverage from the Saints. You knew that they would be kind of having their backs turned to the quarterback. And so he felt as though that would allow him to have the opportunity to run a little bit more. And we saw that. And that was a great part of the offense. And, you know, maybe it was the same thing with Atlanta's defense, right? A lot of man coverage, you got your back turn, and that is where you can sometimes be susceptible to those late developing plays, those kind of misdirection plays. And you you know that the Saints are coming off of a bye week as well. So maybe the Falcons learned a little bit something about their defense and how opponents given a whole week to prepare 
how they said, all right, this is a weak spot that we can exploit. And so maybe now that the Falcons are aware of that, they can fine tune some things and get the defense back on track. But somebody who I think we've been waiting a long, long time to get on track is Kyle Pitts, man. Like, where is he? What is going on? I I know that it's something we've all kind of collectively been talking about for a little bit now, but he continues to be out there. Arthur Smith said, you know, yesterday that everything's kind of fine. There's no real issue. He's just getting back to to normal. But at what point do we just say, all right, is this a new normal for the former number four overall pick? And, And right now, that's not really enough for this offense. Yeah, um, I I wish I had a good answer. I, w- I wish I could, you know, just say, oh, actually, this is what's happening, you know, but I, I don't know. It, it's it's getting to the point where it's a bit awkward. Like Arthur gets asked about Kyle Pitts seemingly every press conference, every Monday or Wednesday press conference uh, now on a regular basis. And I think Arthur doesn't really know exactly how to answer it other than that, you know, he, he's coming back and all this. I think it's clear that... Um, you know, Des ha- has a has a better just rapport with with Drake London, and I think that when we talk about you know the lack of production with Kyle Pitts, I, th- I think you do have to say that at least he he does have a ha- is has a great connection with London, and and that yeah. connection is really positive. You know, they they hooked up um, several times in the in the games uh, on Sunday. That was key, but yeah, like the thing about Kyle was that he actually made two really clutch third down catches on like mm-hmm. third and longs. Um, that got picked up first downs for the Falcons. And that's where you just like wish there was more of that, you know? And it seems like with a player like him, it should be pretty simple to, you know, have him do some like hooks over the ball, you know, where you can just like... Just have him own the middle of the field. Like he needs to be your big man down in the paint almost and just turn his back and and play with his back to the basket, show your hands and, and just get him the ball and keep these chains moving, especially when you've got... Drake London kind of out wide when you've got, you know, Bajan who can kind of carry some defenses again, horizontally, it should open up space in the middle of the field. And yet it's, it's not, or it's there and and your quarterback's looking elsewhere. And I don't think it's a case of like Desmond Ritter is unable to find him in certain situations. Like I felt like the Falcons were getting these exact kind of yards out of Michael Pruitt last year when Kyle Pitts <laughs> got injured. Like, yeah. you know, Michael Pruitt was like one of the main pass catchers doing a lot of this stuff, like the drags, you know, um, that he's able to, you know, catch the ball three yards past the line of scrimmage and turn it into 11, 12, 13 yards or something like that. That's the kind of thing where you feel like Kyle Pitts would really excel because he has that explosive athleticism, especially when he's matched up against some of these linebackers like he would be if he's you know running routes in those areas. And so all that to say, I don't know exactly what it is. I don't think it's the play calling, though. Like, like I, I don't think that this is like some conscious um, thing from Arthur Smith. I know this has been like a big point of contention for fans, even coming off of this win. There still are issues with the play calling. I, I don't see it as a play calling issue necessarily. Um, I don't know what exactly <laughs> it is. I don't know if it's some sort of. Yeah, the connection that that Ritter has with him, um, because when it comes to the NFL, I don't NFL, think it's the defense taking him away either. Like I know that yeah. that's a a very common refrain, and it's something I heard all the time when I was in the building with Julio, right? And it was that was kind of the first version of it, where it was just, well, he's not getting the red zone looks because if you look at what the defense is doing, they are just taking him away in the red zone. And I would kind of watch the film and be like, are they though? They're they're it's still kind of one on one, or maybe he's bracketed. But especially with Kyle Pitts, I, I look and I'm like. 
the defense is in zone cover. You know, it's not like they are just totally locking down Kyle Pitts. You can find him. He's there. It's just, again, it's the ball's not going his way. Yeah, yeah. And and he, Kyle, I thought, had a great game against the Texans uh, way back in week five, I think that was. Um, he was running a lot of like sale routes and Ritter was mm-hmm. finding him in some really tight windows. And I thought that that was going to be the start of something that they would really be able to build on. But we haven't really seen much of that. Um since then, or at least the, those connections being hit. Uh, so it's it's really a mystery. Uh, but I do think, you know, to kind of go back to the way that you set all this up, like you hate to say it, but I think you do kind of re- need to readjust your expectations for, for Kyle Pitts at this point. Like, you know, like they always say, like you're, you are what your record shows. Like, I think that, you know, this packs, this, this tandem between Ritter and Pitts is what it is at this point. Like, it's hard to see this, taking some sort of sharp turn at this point. Um, I could be wrong, and I kind of hope I am wrong, because I feel like the Falcons will be better off if they really can exploit uh, Pitts when he gets some of these matchups. But um, I don't see where that's going to happen at this point. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I would absolutely love for nothing more than, you know, we're nearing that kind of one-year mark of of his knee injury. If it really is, hey, this takes like a, a long time for you to get back to normal, right? And if if he kind of magically it clicks and it's like, there it is, there's that explosion, explosion, there's kind of the agility and all of that stuff. Yeah, and if he finishes the year with, you know, 30 catches over the last, you know, five games and, you know, 350 yards, a couple touchdowns, like, that would be awesome. It's just at this point, I think we keep holding our breath and it's not there. So yeah, you're right. We can all exhale probably right now and just (laughs) expect more of the same. I will say, you know, the play that he got injured on was one of these plays where he was over the middle, kind of running with the ball in, you know, caught it in traffic and and got Mm -hmm. caught up in that traffic with a big hit. And, um, you do wonder if maybe that has a psychological impact on the player. And it's impossible for me to really know or understand if that is affecting maybe the routes. But I will say that, you know, at the NFL level, the 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 routes are it's so specific as to like how they need to be run and where the landmarks need to be hit at what time during the quarterback's progression um, that maybe that's not happening as regularly or as consistently as it should for any of these reasons. And and that's one of the reasons why um, I, I'm just kind of throwing that out there. But it, but it, I think it's something that fans often overlook and especially you know to go back to Ritter the first interception that he had I mean I think that that's a perfect example of Bijan just like the route was not <laughs> run kind not of how it was right supposed to be run to be. Yeah. yeah exactly and it's one of those things where it's like it's a quick timing route and um, if you're off it can be you know disastrous obviously as it was on that play so it could come down to these small these small factors that um, could even have some psychological uh, impacts from just the injury that he took last year. No, it's a, it's a great point because that's very real. These are all humans. Like everybody there, if if you've been hurt and you're kind of in a similar situation, it's human nature just to kind of be like, oh man, is that going to happen again? And to take your point about the um, kind of precision route running being where you need to be at the same time. I remember um, when the Falcons moved from Sark to Dirk Cutter, Austin Hooper told us, you know, specifically in the kind of Kyle Shanahan, Steve Sarkeesian, it was it was very much like just be at this spot, right? be at this spot at this time. And it was more um, kind of like seconds based yardage based mm-hmm. than the dirt cutter offense, which was very precise and based on your steps, right? It was like one, two, three steps. And then you make your cut and everything mm-hmm. was flowing off of the drop back and tied to the, it was more of kind of everything was tied together. And I wonder with a player like Kyle Pitts, who is 
such a freak athlete. And, and Arthur Smith, even I think after the Lions game was like, he's so deceptive with his movements because he's so big, but he kind of covers ground so quickly. Maybe that throws all like, we're obviously just speculating here yeah. and throwing stuff against the wall, but you know, everybody's different. And when you got a, a unicorn like Kyle Pitts, maybe that just throws off a little bit of that timing. Maybe it's a little bit harder, but one other aspect of the offense that I want to ask you about before we talk about this Jets game really quickly is Dave Ragone moving up to the uh, to the box. It looks like that'll be something that will continue forward. Obviously, you know, it's not like the Falcons went up and put up 45 points, but at times against the Saints, they looked awesome on offense. And yeah, has Arthur Smith on Monday, did he reveal any more about kind of what that change entails? I know that he liked having his coordinators down on the field in recent seasons because they could almost act as, you know, secondary head coaches during the games while he could focus on the field. They could be there talking with the players. But the schematic advantage of being up in the box, you know, I, I don't think can be uh, overrated either. Like, what are your thoughts on on Ragone moving up to the box? I mean, I, I think the early results are are clearly positive, um, more so <laughs> than they've been the last few weeks. Uh, we didn't get much from from uh, Arthur Smith yesterday on this on Mon- on his Monday press conference. He was asked about it, but he just kind of he almost like intentionally was like, hey, like he almost like he didn't want to to talk about it. Probably doesn't want to discuss some of the details in terms of you know. What they're looking for. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, what they're diagnosing during a game because there is a, you know, competitive uh, strategic advantage at play there. But um, I'm interested to ask Ragone about it. We'll talk to him on Mm -hmm. Thursday to, to, to find out more about what he's seeing there. But I will say it was interesting to watch uh, Ritter um, on some of these passing plays. Like I thought he had some wide, well, he did have some wide open options to go to sometimes on some of these drags. There was one particular where John o. Smith was wide open in the flats and he probably could have picked up a first down instead. Desmond goes downfield with the ball and completes it to, to Drake London on like a, like a basic or something like uh, 15 mm-hmm. yards downfield. And I just thought that was interesting because you would think that a player in Desmond Ritter's shoes um, might be looking for, the safer option, the more wide open guy. Uh, but instead, he was still. I think you know, Arthur Smith loves that he throw he pushes yeah. the ball down the field. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even that interception to, to on Van Jefferson's play, which yep, you know, it it could be on the quarterback, could be on the receiver, could be just great play by Tyron Matthew. But he was like definitely taking a chance there. And Arthur Smith, even after the game, was kind of like, "Eh, you being aggressive, maybe we yeah. pull that one back a little bit." But I think that's what they like about Desmond Ritter. Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. And I think that Arthur Smith has said this before, where it's like it's much easier to take a quarterback who's going to do those things and dial him back instead of as opposed to the opposite of trying to encourage a quarterback to go downfield more because it is one of those innate characteristics that I think you have. Um, and it's just easier. Yeah, it's easier to pull you back instead of to push you forward. So uh, I think it's actually encouraging. I, again, I was I was seeing some seeing the routes develop and I was like, oh, he should go there. And he wasn't going there, but got to give him credit because he was, you know, hitting hitting Drake with some really accurate balls down the field. And um, certainly he's going to need to continue to do that if he is to to progress and become this team's starting quarterback, which I know is kind of controversial to say at this point but i i frankly am not kind of giving up on on ritter yet i, I my mind is still open i put this out on there on twitter yeah last how'd night. your poll turn out it turned out about 70 30 about 70 percent are saying like nope my mind's already made up we need we need to draft or sign a quarterback um and i'm interested to to i'm, I'm gonna put the same question out there in you know three or four weeks and it'll see it'll be interesting to see where the falcons are at that point as well but i certainly expect ritter to continue to progress i, I think that he is a little bit more like scarred now in a good way you know he's kind of got that scar tissue from having gone through 
this experience and you, you don't get that you know that uh, the grizzled veteran isn't uh, a veteran <laughs> who has only had good things happen to them throughout their career you know it's someone who's sure. experienced both things and so i think that you know this this benching that that uh, ritter has gone through will ultimately serve him well now whether he plays up to the standard he needs to in these last six games we're gonna see yeah, that's a great point. I mean, Matt Ryan endured a lot of playoff losses famously before he, you know, started to make that progress. And then in 2012, took a step forward in 2016. Obviously, we saw that run. So you're right. I mean, that scar tissue has to be built up. I think what I saw from from Ritter, again, watching it, seeing all the I, like I love the vantage point from the press box, yeah. uh, especially because I'm behind the end zone, which is uh, kind of fun. But you see the kind of everything just laid out in front of you. The only nitpick that I had, and maybe this was part of the game plan where, again, they knew that they could maybe get some quarterback runs against the Saints. It felt like the backside of the progression was not an area that he went to very mm, frequently, yep. but was open, right? Yep. Like if if his first two reads were over here to the left, he'd look there, he'd look there, and then he just kind of kept looking there. And I was like, you have Jonu Smith standing here wide open, like for five yards if you want him. And I'm curious to see if that's an adjustment that they make moving forward. But let's let's pivot this forward and talk about the upcoming game against the Jets. Again, on paper, should be a team that the Falcons beat, but we said that against about Minnesota. We said that about Arizona. You know, it, what, what makes you confident that the Falcons can get this win on Sunday? And then what makes you a little fearful that we'll be talking about you know, another head scratching. Where did this come from kind of loss? <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because I'm... I'm <laughs> Like I'm confident because of the way that they play. Again, again, talking about the run game, talking about the way that the offensive line yeah. performed as a whole, um, that gives you confidence that they're going to be able to that they have that reference point. I asked Arthur Smith about this yesterday, but like to have to, have, to play a game like you have, certainly it, it gives an athlete, a competitor, some sort of like reference point that you can you can kind of draw back for, to that experience, that memory of of having performed in that way, and then. Mm-hmm. attempt to reproduce it um it's why i hate the tanking argument like exactly. sorry for the yeah, tangent yeah, but yeah. It, like you have to experience the winning you have to experience that success sometimes to know that okay i can do that i'm capable yeah. of that yeah absolutely and l- make no bones about it like these guys got chewed out uh coming into this week like 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 they, he, not, he said it was practical Is yeah that it was practical word? advice I, yeah. I started i started laughing when he said that uh for the because <laughs> you know that there was uh they were when he's when when you talk about offensive linemen get challenged i mean off, like offensive linemen are, are probably kind of the biggest uh you know nut busters on, on, a, on a football team <laughs> and when they're getting challenged you know that it's intense <laughs> and mm-hmm. um and, but it was, it was great to see them respond in the way that they did but the thing that worries me about it is the specific individual matchups and that would be matthew bergeron who is coming off of a yeah, fantastic great game. game i think yeah. he was great out like 94 or something on pff just fantastic and you could see it on the film too even before the pff grades came out just the way he was able to get those especially the reach blocks when the team was running to the right side behind that lindstrom mcgarry combination which yeah. you know is going to be fruitful for you but you really need that backside to kind of seal it off in order to get the chunk plays which they were able to do which was great um mm-hmm. but 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 going up against quinn and williams is going to be a different animal i mean there's probably no tougher interior defensive lineman to go up against than him so I'm sure the Jets are going to try to make that matchup happen as much as possible and it will be interesting to see how Bergeron in particular fares with it but um but at least they have some you know this positive experience from the last week to to hopefully springboard them and you know it's worth reminding everybody that 
last year, the reason we talked about the Falcons offensive line and their run game so glowingly is because they did it against really good fronts as well. Yeah. This wasn't just a, all right, man, they're, they're crushing, uh, you know, the Cardinals, right? Or they are crushing just these bad teams. They were going up against, you know, Tampa Bay and taking it to them. They were going up against New Orleans. I know I'm just mentioning division teams, but mm-hmm. 49ers, they, Browns. Exactly. Great. Yes. They they played really good defensive fronts and they won those matchups. And so this is the same offensive line except for Matthew Bertrand. But again, he's coming off of a great game and he has that athleticism in the run game that was one of the reasons we all liked that draft pick. So I, I think you're right to define the kind of trench play, especially for Atlanta's offense, as maybe the deciding factor in this game because it is when we've seen the Jets win some games, keep these games close, they're usually like 13 to 10 going yeah. into the fourth quarter <laughs> and you can't really move the ball, sustain these drives. And yet we've saw the Falcons, you know, when they when everything is clicking, it is beautiful. I mean, they they can march down the field 75, 80 yards in 12 plays and, and make it look easy at times. And that is going to be something where are they able to do that against the Jets? And if they are, if they can get you know, a two touchdown lead at some point, you have to imagine that that really puts the Falcons yeah. in in a great driver's seat. Yeah. But let's let's flip to the Jets offense uh, really quickly. Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, you know, I know a lot will be made about the quarterback, but this is an offense where if you can just get the ball in the hands of, of your guys, kind of like the Saints, if you can just get the ball in the hands of Alvin Kamara, if you can just get the ball in the hands of, of Chris Olave, you know, maybe you can make some damage. And they kind of did for a little bit there. How much does Garrett Wilson and, and Brees Hall scare you? They scare me a lot because these are slippery, <laughs> slippery players. I mean, I'm, I'm an Ohio State fan, so I grew up, I, they're not growing up, but I, I, wa- I watched Garrett Wilson for a long time. And the guy is... As a little the, kid, Joe Patrick yeah, 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 Garrett Wilson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, him and Chris Olave. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, Garrett Wilson is, he's he's special when he gets the ball in his hands and, and Brees Hall is the same. And um, if there's any players you don't want to face, if you're kind of a a rough tackling team like we've seen the Falcons be these last several weeks, um, you know, that that presents a danger. So I think, you know, I think a lot of it just comes down to fundamentals. Like if they can just wrap these guys up, stay, mm-hmm. you know, stay solid in their responsibilities defensively, you know, pl- re- just play their rules right, keep the game in front of them. I think they should be able to have success. But again, this is when it comes to the inconsistencies the Falcons have. This is why like I don't want to go out on a limb and like guarantee anything's going to happen because you just simply don't know. You, 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 the team has not proven that it is consistent uh, in, in doing some of these things. So we'll see how it goes. But you would certainly think that this has to be an advantage for the Falcons. And you would certainly think that the, the Jets defense is going to give them a chance to win this game, too. And, you know, it seems like we say it every week, but certainly feels like it's going to be one of those close, slow scoring games. It's also going to be the first cold weather game that the Falcons have really played this year. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it'll be interesting to see how the the players deal with that. Of course, that's more pertaining to the team's offense. But um, yeah, I, I just I expect it to be more of the same basically this week with what the Falcons have have kind of yeah been predicted to do by Vegas, at least over the last seven, seven weeks or so, which is to just play these <laughs> ugly, nasty games. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully the the physicality pays off. Yeah, I think the Falcons last I saw it was like uh, they were favored by two in this. And that that feels like on the one hand, a slight to Atlanta. But again, it's probably spot on because both of these teams, I feel like every Sunday I look up and the Jets are in like, again, a 12 to nine game against whoever. And the Falcons are always in like a 17 to 15, uh, like 
outcome going into the fourth quarter. So yeah. as much as, yeah, we would like to sit here and say that the Falcons probably use this as their get right game and that, that springboards, uh, a, you know, after a win against the Saints and it's 32 to, to seven, I just there again, there's nothing that I've seen so far with this team that makes me think that that's even their approach, like that yeah. they're going into this game thinking about it being that way. I think they like getting these games into the fourth quarter and that they take over from there because mm-hmm. you know you know you're going to be in it one way or the other and sometimes you go for that big knockout punch early and then you miss and they land a haymaker and then you know you're playing catch up and the falcons under arthur smith and you give him a lot of credit for this very rarely are they playing just pure catch up they are they are you know always in this kind of right down to the wire um yeah. But that's that's basically all I've got for you today, Joe. Well, Did you have anything else you want to bring yeah, up? Maybe if there is going to be an X factor or, or an edge that uh, leads the Falcons way, maybe, maybe it's maybe it's Parker Hesse. Maybe it's Parker Hesse who was yes, uh, undefeated this go. season. <laughs> Arthur Smith's favorite player. <laughs> he he to me, and I, I was talking actually to Mike Rothstein before the game um, about this. He to me is like a Arthur Smith's avatar out there on the <laughs> yeah, field, yeah. and I think he was that last year. I just to me, it's like. He's the chess piece that Arthur Smith wrote his name on. And it's just like, there's my guy on the board. And it's kind of like he knows the intention of this offense and how everything's supposed to work. And then it's just like, all right, on this play, I need you to do this. On this play, line up over here and do this. And like, he kind of is that that just movable piece that unlocks everything. And in similar ways where the the Rams have always had kind of that smaller guy who can motion in the yeah. backfield. I think they have Puka Nakua doing it now. Or yep. the, you know, the 49ers have Kyle Juszczyk, like, these smaller guys who can do a variety of things, that's what Parker Hesse is. And he they haven't had him. And so I think getting him back is is something that could unlock the offense it, a little bit. For the Rams at Ben Skoranek, I think was like the yes, key like yeah, exactly. yeah, like the uh yeah. that guy, I think he was in the the play callers uh podcast. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Sometimes uh, it's it's kind of funny because it's like well, I'm have like me and Arthur kind of have a thing, and I feel like I'm just carrying the the Parker Hesse mantle for like the sicko online Falcons fans who respect Parker Hesse. Um, but you know, like honestly, it's it's almost it's only like a half joke that that he is this like influential piece because of everything that you were just saying there. Like these players sometimes are what you need in order for other things to function the way that they're supposed to. I I put in a request to interview Parker Hesse during training camp, and I think even Parker Hesse was surprised that <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to talk to him. Right. He kind of came over after practice and was just like, "All right, what? Like, when are you going to get to the, like the joke question that you're right. going to ask me? Like, yeah, why are you sitting yeah. here asking me about all this like weird versatility in the offense stuff, dude? Like, what's going?" So, I yeah, I'm very excited to have him back. Um, just as excited to have you on this podcast. So thank you so much, Joe, for for coming on, sharing a lot of knowledge. Uh, you know that I love catching up with you before every home yeah. game. It's it's one of my best, uh, my favorite times is like the hour and a half yeah. before a home game when we all get to be down there on the field just talking about football. Um, so thank you again for coming on. Is there, where can people find you? Let them know what you got going on. Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter X at J Patrick 200. Um, I'm on every every Falcons game um, on the Wade Ford tailgate show, which is before the, the pregame to the pregame show. Usually it's at 9 a.m. for a, a one o'clock game. So you can catch me there. But you can also just tune in to 929 uh, all day long on Sundays, basically for basically round the clock Falcons coverage. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on again. Will. I also 
really enjoy those those times. I love just being that close to the competitors too, like to the athletes, and just seeing how locked in they are. That's a it's a really cool experience. I'm you know very privileged, and I know you are too that we're able to just be there to witness it up close. And uh, even when things are going bad, you you just you always marvel at just these top tier you know athletes and competitors and the way that they go about it. And the, the it's such a slim you know the it's just such fine margins in the NFL. Like these are such top operators at all these teams. And that's what makes every Sunday so fun, exciting and unpredictable. So um, thanks for having me on again. And uh, always love chatting up with you. Of course, we will have to do it again. And uh, thanks again, Joe. A big thank you to Joe for joining me today. Again, please go follow him on Twitter at Joe Patrick 200. Uh, I really am going to keep my eye on Kyle Pitts uh, moving forward. I, I don't want to, although I guess I am, you know, like start this this whole drumbeat about like what is going on with Kyle Pitts, but I don't think I'm the only one. I think if you kind of look around, if you have some of the the conversations, probably, you know, it's being talked about amongst the fan base. I'm sure I see it. it what is happening? What's going on? This this is not the player that we kind of saw coming out of Florida. Again, it's tough to recover from an injury. So if that is the reason, I'm very sympathetic to it. Um, but I, I just kind of don't know. And I would love nothing more than for him to go out here and, and have a big, big game against the New York Jets. It's tough defense, but I kind of like the way that Kyle Pitts matches up against uh, you know their linebackers and guys in the secondary. But I've liked Kyle Pitts matching up against pretty much every defense this season. So yeah, I mean, that, just tough to square that one. But Ovi and I will be back on Sunday to recap the game against the Jets. Hopefully, we're talking about another win. Please uh, check out today's podcast and all of our podcasts on our YouTube channel, uh, Believe in Falcons, the same exact name. You can follow me on Twitter, at Will McFadden. Like, subscribe, share the news. If the Falcons are going to make a playoff push here, you know we're going to treat it appropriately. I'm going to bring it each and every week, and I would love for you guys to be along for the ride and to bring others along as well. So today's podcast, as always, was presented by Bet Online. That will do it for me today. Until next time, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.